I'm Frances Robertson Ritchie. Welcome to today's episode of The Explored Life, More Than Yoga. Today's episode of The Explored Life, More Than Yoga is all about our financial well-being. And I'm super excited to be speaking with Catherine Morgan. Catherine is a multi-award winning financial coach and she helps women to reduce financial anxiety and increase financial empowerment and resilience. She hosts a top 1% podcast called In Her Financial Shoes and serves women through her memberships, courses and mastermind to deserve, create and grow money. She's been featured in The Telegraph, Stylist, Good Housekeeping, The Guardian, and is a co-author of the Amazon bestseller, The Woman I Am Becoming, a book inspiring teenage girls as they approach life's challenges and crossroads. Thank you so much for joining me today, Catherine. It's lovely to have you here. Really nice to see you. Thanks for having me, Francis. It's really lovely to um, to be on your podcast, having seen you launch your podcast in 2020, was it, or 2019? No, it's um, last year, August. Yeah, I can't believe how quickly it's gone. Yes. Uh, just flown by. But yeah, I really um, appreciate it because I'm not sure I would have done it without um, having come across the work that you do and your support over the last uh. year or so. Um, so I really um, am excited to introduce you to um, uh, the community here um, and the work that you do, um, helping women to build financial resilience. And that's really what you do, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Our mission really is to equip and prepare a million women to be financially resilient. And a big part of that for me is about, you know, money is both emotional and practical. You know, if we imagine a coin, it has two sides. One side is what we call the emotional side, and the other side is the practical side. And we have to look at both. Um, So we always really try and focus on helping women to be to be better, but to feel better around their relationship with money. So getting really clear on their money narratives, the stories that they're telling themselves, the stories that they're telling themselves that are going to self-sabotage them, that will actually prevent them from taking the action. So we're very much a believer in, you know, in, in order to have financial resilience and to grow your financial wealth, we've got to look at both sides of the coin, you know, very much that money is emotional and practical. Yeah. And um, it's such fascinating stuff. Uh, the the reason I think it really ties in with um, what I talk about in the podcast, which is about um, supporting our physical and mental health and well-being, it's this idea of well-being. And um, I uh, I remember back before I started working with you, when I felt quite um, out of control with my money and um, didn't spend any time I didn't want to think about it basically um I sort of had this sense that I was really taking care of my health I'd sort of started on this journey with the yoga and um and but there were times when I'd be in a class um and we'd be talking about relaxing and I'd think how can I relax when I've got all this stuff on my mind you know this uh, sort of anxiety in the background because I don't have my financial situation under control so Mm. I think um, for me it's always been um, it's very easy for us especially as yoga teachers as people helping people to relax or um, yeah it's it's very easy to say okay now relax but when people are coming from a place of 
maybe instability, you know, or um, feeling out of control with their finances, Mm. it's almost impossible, (laughs) isn't it? It's almost impossible to relax. Yeah, it's really interesting that you talk about that, Francis, because, you know, these words like anxious or, you know, wanting to relax but not being able to is because of the relationship that we have with money, the power that we are giving to money. You know, money in its entirety is really just a, uh, you know, an enabler. It enables us to create opportunities to to buy things to support our well-being our self-care our health all of these you know opportunities and things and experiences that we want to create in life but the problem with money is that we don't just see money as this neutral tool we see it as this an emotionally charged thing you know it's got power in our lives and depending on your relationship that you've grown up around money depends on the element of power that you're giving away to money because money is really about two things. It's how comfortable you feel to give and how comfortable you feel to receive. And every person on the planet will have their own kind of scale, so to speak, their enoughness scale that we call it, um, as to how much money do you need to have to feel financially enough, to feel safe and secure, to bring you from a place of instability to stability, as you just mentioned there, Francis. And and also what happens is that we come up with these negative emotions where we self-sabotage, where we look at everybody else's situation, we go into comparatonitis or we have a lot of self-judgment or we worry about what everybody else is going to think. You know, when we buy a new sofa or a new car or or the latest mobile phone because we think that other people might like us more or, you know, we're seeking that connection. Um, or we might be holding on to some financial regret, decisions that we've made in the past that we really beat ourselves up for, and therefore we create negative emotions around shame and guilt and anxiety and things like this. So it's really exploring and bringing some curiosity to the emotional aspect of how, how much power you're giving money and how you feel about money. What does money really mean to you? That is really the first step in understanding how to have a better relationship with money and how that can support you in your well-being yeah god there's so much there isn't there it's like um so much amazing information um i i think when i first started working with you um i did a challenge with you and i think it was called um the money blocks uh, plug your money leaks challenge was it? Money leaks, that was it and um what i found useful was this idea of um you set your foundations first you know starting from this foundational base um and stability um because you can feel like there's almost like no point can't you when when you're out of control it can feel like there's no solution and no answer and I think you made it very clear that actually there is a process it's almost like a very practical process that you can go through to start to build that initial foundational stability and then from that point you can then go on to grow and um thrive and you know um in whatever way like you say in whatever way works for you whatever enoughness means for you yeah I think very much when you talk about like the process there um for me there's three steps the first step is about deserving wealth You know, so that's the work that we teach around understanding your patterns, the beliefs, the behaviors, the thoughts, the things that we say to ourselves about money. Whenever you hear yourself saying, I am, like, I am bad with money, I am an overspender, I 
am a planner. I am an overgiver. All of these things where we hear ourselves say I am is a really useful insight. It's almost like a, almost like a, a kind of light bulb or a magnifying glass, like a spotlight that you're putting on your relationship with money. And that deserving wealth piece is really powerful to explore what are the money narratives that you're telling yourself? What are the stories that you're telling yourselves? And I'll share a story with you in a second after I've just briefly talked about these three stages, but that can be immensely powerful. Many of the beliefs that we actually hold around money don't even belong to us. They've just been passed down through the family generations. Um, And that's really, really interesting to explore with ourselves because a lot of the guilt and shame that we actually hold, again, doesn't even belong to us. It's guilt and shame that's been just literally passed down through the generations where our parents' parents have said something to our parents about money and then our parents have um, passed that belief onto us or that emotion through their behaviours and through things that they said to us growing up, like money doesn't grow on trees or you have to work hard for money. You know, these, these beliefs kind of carry through into our unconscious mind and we make 90% of our decisions on our unconscious mind. So, you know, bringing some curiosity to those kind of family intergenerational wealth beliefs can be really interesting. And so that when we get to the point of the end of going through that deserving wealth phase, if you like, we then feel more comfortable to give and to receive. And once we feel more comfortable with that, we then go into the creating wealth stage, which is then about what I call getting financially naked, understanding your numbers, because you've got rid of all the guilt and shame at that point. And more may come up during those exercises, but really understanding your numbers is the second stage. It's that awareness of, okay, what am I spending? Often what we spend is what we value. So when you look at your your bank statement, look at what you're spending um, and don't make comparisons to anybody else. This is about you giving yourself permission to give every single pound a purpose. So when I talk to business owners about this, I always say, look, imagine that every pound that comes into your account is a employee coming to your desk on a Monday morning and you've got to give them a job. You've got to give them a purpose. So, for example, One of my clients yesterday messaged me and said, I've just taken on this client. They're paying me £500 a month and that pays for my car lease. And I'm like, great. I can see already that she's taking that money that's coming in and she's giving it a purpose. She's justifying that because she's an overgiver. She's justifying that, okay, I feel okay to receive this money because that's going to pay for my car lease. And so when we give every pound a purpose, it enables us to stand in a position of power and us to stand in a position of confidence. And I would say confidence over control. I I really dislike the word control when it comes to money because this isn't about controlling money. This is about having purpose with money and having awareness and clarity and and making purposeful intentions with with wealth. Um, And then the third stage is, is going into like growing your wealth. So once you've deserved wealth and you feel good about it and you can kind of set your foundations then you go into the growing wealth stage. So we have like different programs that are centered around each of these key stages. And the growing wealth is kind of learning how to invest. So my background is I've I've been in financial services for like 20 odd years. So, you know, I have given advice to clients as to how to build their um, investment portfolios. But people think this is really complicated and it really isn't. And people think you have to have loads of money to get started investing. You don't. You can start from literally a pound. But it's just deciphering all of the jargon that exists in the financial services profession. And let's, you know, let's 
let's not be um let's not underestimate that there is so much jargon around pensions, ISA, the stock market, risk, you know, and then we just don't understand any of it because no one's ever taught us. And so we run as far away as possible from topics like that because we just don't understand it. So we teach people about, well, how do you create wealth? Once you've got money available to start investing for your future, how do you go about understanding risk? How do you evaluate your values, your your intentions, your goals, so that then you've got a really clear path of what you need to do. Um, And then it's about the consistency. So then we teach um, our clients how to have a money date with themselves, a regular money date with themselves, so that they can check in on how are you feeling now about money? You know, are you still feeling deserving? Do you need to raise your prices? Um, How are you feeling on the, the, the foundations of your finances? You know, have you got your pots in place? Have you given every pound a purpose? And then how are you feeling then about your creating wealth journey? And that's really important because a lot of people talk about income and sales, particularly in business. They don't talk enough about profit and wealth generation. Because if you're just going to bring in wealth and then spend it, well, then you're not going to actually be creating any long-term sustainable um, wealth for yourself and for your family and for your well-being. Yeah, it's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> it's like it really, yeah it really is and, and I know that was a bit of a kind of whistle stop kind of tour through the three steps but I think when you're listening to that when I went through those three stages automatically you'll be listening to this and thinking oh yeah I definitely need to work on this bit or I definitely need to work on this bit and that's really important is to think about where are you in your wealth creation journey if you're in a place of instability and you've not got a financial security funds and maybe you've still got some debts or money already spent as we call them in the money circle membership or um, maybe you're wanting to Uh, Maybe you've got all of those things, but you want to be creating passive income streams and building your business and your revenue. Then that's in the kind of uh, growth stage. And then it's about, you know, scaling um, into that kind of financial freedom. But most people want to go from instability right to the top of the pyramid, like in a month. (laughs) Um, Because they see people talking about six figure launches, seven figure launches, and they don't remember that it's, it all happens in stages. You can't go from instability to financial freedom in, you know, in a month. It, it takes time. It's almost like a step-by-step layered approach. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just thinking back to like when I first came across you, which was probably about a year and a half ago, I think, maybe two years. Um, and actually, I, I was at a point where I, I didn't have any knowledge. I wasn't into this kind of world of six seven figure launches or anything like that and I didn't that wasn't where my head was at I just was at a place where I I had been I've worked in like um you know quite uh responsible jobs where I managed budgets and you know I earned quite good money um and yet even after 40 years I couldn't somehow manage my own money it was like and I couldn't get my head around it I was like I'm a grown-up I'm you know successful in many ways and yet why can't I get to the end of the month without um feeling like you know that sort of real I guess lack or you know that panic Mm. and so that that's where I sort of found came and found your work from and I think for especially for women you, you were right, we're not taught about this stuff. We don't, we're not 
spoken to by the financial industry about this stuff particularly I mean I had no idea how to make get, get myself a pension I didn't have a pension until I you know came across your work so it's not the stuff that you do isn't just for people who are looking necessarily for you know to to really um you know do grand things it's in some ways it's um really really useful for building those foundations and even just um knowing that it's okay to work on your money you know as a woman because that can sometimes be feel a bit strange can't it and I'm sure that ties into all of that stuff you were talking about about the beliefs and the passed down <laughs> yeah, it's the role models isn't it like we we don't have significant role models specifically for women around money you know, if you think back to generationally, you know, if you, if you just take Britain or the UK, you know, in our in our in our blueprint of the British history, if you didn't have land, you didn't have title, then you weren't considered to be valuable in society, and so you know you, you, that that's generationally where we've come from, and then what happens is that if you go right back to like the hunter-gatherers, you know, men were the hunter-gatherers and women were the caregivers. Like we brought up the children, we cooked, we, you know, we, um, we held the, the family home together and then our partners or husbands would be the main breadwinners. And that's in our family generational patterns around money, which you may think, well, how is that relevant when that's like 100 years ago or over 100 years ago? It's relevant because those patterns are passed through the generations, so I'll take my granddad, for example, my granddad, who was in the Second World War, he was in the uh, Singapore um, prisoner of war camps. He was in the Shangi prisoner of war camps. And he survived. He came out of those camps weighing like five and a half stone. And he had a really negative relationship with food for obvious reasons and his body. And that passed through the generations. My mum had quite a negative um, pattern around her body and body shame. And so did I. I All of my teenage years, I had eating disorders all through my teenage years and my 20s. And so money for me became a tool to fuel my lack of self-worth. And I used money as a tool to try and make me feel better about myself and a lot of people have this relationship with money where they may be an emotional spender or they're buying for other people or they're buying things where they think, well, if I just have this, I'll feel better and more people will like me. They're the people pleaser. It's that part of us that just wants to please everybody. Um, so that self-worth piece is so important. And for women, you know, often we lack confidence. We try and please everybody. We try and multitask. We try and be everybody to, you know, everything to everybody. And we just can't do that when it comes to money because, you know, if we always have that relationship with money that, well, money will give me the power. Money will enable me to have more friends. Money will make me feel better about my body. Money, you know, having nice food, you know, means we'll be maybe be overweight and we eat too much or we drink too much. It's that addiction um, where money becomes a financial enabler, um, but in a bad, in a negative way. So all of these patterns around money, the beliefs that we've been brought up, have a, you know, brought up around have a huge impact. And when it comes to role models, I mean, even in things like social media and movies, for example, I mean, role models, I always talk about Devil Wears Prada and you know, one of my favorite films. 
And the main character in Devil Wears Prada is a rich bitch. She's horrible. She's got loads of money, but she's a horrible person. And we, so we don't have these particularly positive role models around wealth. So that when we do have wealth, well, we just want to get rid of it as quickly as possible or spend it because we don't feel um, deserving to keep that wealth. So we can create it, no problem. But, oh, no, I can't keep it because if I keep it, it means that other people can't have it. And so we have we carry all these limiting beliefs about ourselves having money. And so, therefore, the washing machine will suddenly break down or the car will suddenly need replacing. And all these things start happening. And they're happening because our brain, our unconscious mind is telling us you don't deserve that wealth because of those, un- those limiting beliefs. And so it will find evidence to show us oh, well, you don't deserve it anymore. So um, the washing machine is going to break down or something's going to happen. You know, so it's, it's all interlinked. So this isn't, part of this is kind of law of attraction, but it is very much about the brain doesn't know what's fact and fiction. It doesn't know the difference. It cannot tell. The only way that it will behave and what you see in your actions or your inactions around wealth and money is through your behaviours, is through what you're telling yourself. So if you're telling yourself that you're not deserving, then even if you do receive it, then you'll have to get rid of it. Um, and I, I do think that's particularly prevalent for women because of these patterns that, you know, we shouldn't be the main breadwinners. We shouldn't be the millionaires. We shouldn't be wealthy and successful because that's a man's job. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. That's it, isn't it? That's the programming that's that we. It's just totally unconscious. It's within. Um, it's with. It's from everywhere, from society and everything, isn't it? I think that it just for me. I can just hear so much of it weaving in with with the the stuff that I talk about actually in my course um, that I'm doing at the moment, and we're talking a lot about. Um, it's this idea of enoughness again using the same words and um and it starts with the feeling in yourself like you can't look outside of yourself for this validation and it it works um when you're talking about just a feeling it works when you're talking about money it's like when you're spending for validation Mm. you know it it's never going to um serve you is it you've got to find the validation in yourself first yeah it, it, it's really curious I mean I, I did a video on our YouTube channel just last week actually about um, overspending because this was something that kept me in a in a debt cycle um, and, and just to give a bit of context around that so I was a financial advisor in my 20s I was giving people advice on how to manage money and I was living in debt so you can imagine the guilt the shame the judgment the regret all of the negative emotions that I was feeling But what was happening is because it was comfortable for me to stay in debt, I I stayed in debt. I was earning, you know, quite a substantial amount of money. I lived out in the Channel Islands for five years, earning tax, you know, a lot of tax-free money. And um, I was still finding a way to spend that money. And I think for me, what happens is that we have to break these cycles. We have to break the patterns, the habits And in order to break those habits and cycles, we have to really dig deep into our relationship with money. And and this is why I feel so passionate about educating women around not just the practical aspects, but to start with their relationship with money. 
And the video I recorded last week really took me back actually to when I was in my 20s talking about what was it that kept me in this cycle. And it was self, self-worth. It was 100% I, I didn't feel good enough. And when we, feel, when we don't feel good enough, we feel like we never have enough. And when we don't feel like we have enough, then we self-sabotage and we keep stuck in these cycles. So if anyone's listening to this and feels like, well, I want to, ch- I just want to change. I'm ready for this. And I want to get grown up. I want to bust through some of these limiting beliefs. You've got to work on your relationship with money first. And part of that might be in, in forgiveness, forgiving ourselves, forgiving others for things that have happened. And maybe not even in our own lifetimes. We've got a, um, an associate coach in our Money Circle membership who talks about the power of numerology. And we've had various experts coming in talking about Akashic Records, which is where you look at your kind of past lives. And whether you believe in that or not, it doesn't really matter. But the fact is, is that we all hold on to these negative emotions of guilt and shame, whether they belong to us or whether they belong to other people. And so bringing some curiosity to those patterns and those habits and those beliefs around money it really just unlocks everything. And that's enabled me to go from, I was in 30,000 pounds worth of debt to a quarter of a million pounds in my business uh, turnover last year. But I couldn't have done that if I just focused on the practical side. So you have to focus on the emotional side. Um, And and if I may just kind of share a little story around that to maybe bring that into some context for for your listeners. Um, There was a real pivotal moment. I've Two, two moments, but I'll share one of them in my life where I would say everything completely changed. And the one that really made the biggest difference to me was when my second son was born. And I'll give you the kind of shortened version of this story. But when my second son was born, I had a two and a half year old toddler and we just moved back from the Channel Islands to the UK. My second son was born. And when he was five weeks old, Um, we woke up one particular morning and he had a really disturbed night's sleep, didn't want to, just didn't want to do anything. He was really uh, grunting like in his sleep. He was not wanting to feed, just really not himself. And over the course of the next 24 hours, um, his his, uh, medical kind of health slowly started to deteriorate. And within seven hours of him waking that day, He was lying in his Moses basket in the lounge and I had my friend over that day to do some baby hand casting sessions. And when I went to pick him up from the Moses basket to put his hand in in clay, I unwrapped his baby grow and his hands were like ice. And I remember turning around to my friend and saying, something's not right. And I quickly put his hand in this clay casting, put him back in the Moses basket. My friend left the house And as I walked back over to the Moses basket, he was just lying completely still, kind of blinking really hard, but he was very, very still. And almost like every blink was, you know, know when you get a migraine or a headache in your head, whole head just hurts. It was like that. And I remember texting my friend who's a nurse and I said, something's not quite right. And she goes, have you checked his temperature? And I said, no, because he, like, he's cold. He's got cold hands. So I checked his temperature. His temperature was like 38.9. Um, and for any of you who don't have children, anything over kind of 37, it's kind of the cow pole needs to come out or something needs to happen. And instantly I put him in the car seat. I got in the car. I rang my husband and I said, I'm going straight to A&E. And within 20 minutes of arriving at A&E, 
um, the doctors, as I went into A&E, put me on a wheelchair, put Thomas in my arms and wheeled me into resuscitation. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, this is quite serious. Yeah. But being the optimistic, positive person I was, I was like, no, this is fine. He's in the right place. We've got doctors around us. And all these doctors, about 15 doctors that started swarming around this bed. And this one doctor kept using this word sepsis. And I remember thinking, what the hell is sepsis? Like, I think I know what it, what it is. And actually, it took me back to the home and away. I used to watch Home and Away in my 20s. And I remember thinking, Shane, Shane and Angel. I was like, oh, goodness, that, that's what I thought about when I thought of sepsis. I didn't know that sepsis at the time was this, is, this, is the biggest killer of newborn babies. Mm-hmm. And the consequence for me, I'll give you the shortened version of this, is he had a lumbar puncture. They diagnosed him with actually with bacterial meningitis, which is the worst form of sepsis that you can get. But because we got him into hospital so quickly, he was, um, you know, he was uh, put on, on antibiotics, very strong antibiotics. And within two weeks, we were out of hospital and he's now a very happy seven-year-old. But what happened for me in that moment is when I went back to work at the bank, I was diagnosed with uh, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And my overspending was triggered massively. When I got home, I was finding anything that would make me feel better about myself. And so I would just overspend, overspend, overspend. It didn't really matter what it was. I would just overspend. And I remember sitting at the bank one day and this, I almost had this light bulb. I was like, how many other people feel like this about money? How many other people feel guilt, shame, judgment, because they don't understand the jargon that's being used? And that just triggered everything for me. That was the start of my journey to get out of debt, because I finally realized that I was using money to fill this void, to try and make myself feel better, my self-worth. And your self-worth is not your net worth. You know, it's I had to sit back and think about, okay, so what else could I do to make me feel better about myself that does not involve me spending money? And I just started redirecting money and giving it a new purpose, giving it every pound a purpose, looking at my relationship with money. But it all stemmed from that one moment in time when that light bulb went off and I realized what was the emotion that I was seeking behind spending money. I wanted to feel safe. I wanted to feel protected. I wanted to feel secure. And there are tons of other ways to do that without spending money. And that's what I focused on. So I hope that story just shares with you really that it it can be those moments, whether they're little traumas or, I mean, that's, that was a big trauma in my life, but there can be little traumas a divorce, a split of a relationship, the change of a job, a redundancy, COVID, all of these things are traumas. And so if we can really get underneath, what is the feeling that you want to create by having more money? What is important about having more money? Um, That is that kind of almost what I would call like the lock in the key. That's where we can really unlock what is the next step for us to take to feel better about money to feel deserve money create money and grow money yeah I think that explains it so well so clearly and it really does um uh resonates with me so much that um the searching for the something you know Mm. the money or whatever else it is you know um that isn't necessarily serving you um thanks so much Catherine thanks thank you for sharing that 
personal, you know, story with us. Um, goodness, that must have been so stressful for you. I can't imagine. And your son's well now, though. Yeah, he's a yeah, very bright and happy seven-year-old. Um, and you know what? I mean, everyone's got their stories. Everyone's got things that have happened and experiences that they've had. And I think the key is just understanding the the meaning and the purpose behind everything. I'm a massive believer in that things. It's the lessons that we take, often the lessons in the times that were harder rather than easier, that we learn so much about ourselves. Um, and, and that's just one of those moments for me. I just really wanted to share that because it was quite pivotal in that, in that just that journey of getting out of that stuckness. Um, and it wasn't anything really to do with them. I knew all the practical things. I was giving advice to everybody else, but I wasn't following it. You know, it's like people think, oh, if I just have a plan in place, then everything will happen. No, it won't because you won't follow the plan. You won't stick to the plan. <laughs> so again, it's going back to that. What's your core relationship with money? And if you want any help with this, we've got like a really fun, free, quick quiz that you can do, um, which is on our website. If you go to katherinemorgan.com forward slash quiz, you can do a very short quiz and we will then send you tips and, and what is the next thing for you to focus on based on your relationship with money. That sounds amazing. I'll drop the link to that in um, the notes for this podcast episode and share it with everyone. And um, just to finish, I wonder if you've got like a top tip for anyone who's looking to take the first step on this journey beyond obviously go to the quiz first, because that's going to be really useful in uh, giving you some insight and some practical tips. What else would you suggest? Um, for any specific um, challenge or just in general? I think just for someone who, I just think back to myself, um, just being in that place of, um, like you said, stuckness, you know, what, what, what is the first thing to do? Is it like to get financially naked, like you suggested? Is it like to really drill down or is it um, to maybe do some more self-inquiry like what would be the first thing do you think yeah it's a really good question I, I think the get financially naked bit is the practical stuff I wouldn't start there although it can feel easier for some people listening to this although harder for some too I think the first step is is that self-awareness piece for sure yeah. so um you, you can do this actually a really nice exercise we've got a template on the website you can download for this which is called um, dear money and I would start with that. It's a really lovely exercise where um, it's just a very simple template that we provide you with. And it's an opportunity for you to just sit back and think about what are your money narratives? What are the beliefs that you carry about money? And, you know, asking yourself questions like, you know, what role did money serve in your life growing up around money? What did your parents teach you about money? What did you hear about money growing up? Um, we, we kind of give you a couple of questions, but there's a couple of questions there you can try. Um, you know, what's, how comfortable do you feel giving? How comfortable do you feel receiving money? Um, and, and then what happens is we start to then think about what are those limiting beliefs? And then we can start to clear those limiting beliefs and start to think about what would I, what would I need to be saying to myself that's different to what I'm telling myself already? And when we can start, so when you hear yourself saying, I am, I am bad with money, I am... You know, reframe that, flip that coin. Imagine that you know, you've got a heads and a tail, you've got two sides, flip that coin. That 
belief around money will be protecting you in some way. So acknowledge how it's protecting you, acknowledge how it's serving you. So what's the benefit of having that belief? So in an example of money doesn't grow on trees, maybe you heard that growing up around money. Well, the benefit of that is that you're a hard worker, you're a grafter, like you just work really, really hard in your business um, or in your job. But maybe the challenge of that, the flip side is, well, then of course I can't create a course or a membership with reoccurring passive income because that's not hard. Um, I'm not showing up every day and still having money come to me. No, that doesn't feel right. You know, so that's the challenge. So what would you need to be saying to yourself to believe that that was possible? And, and think about creating or drawing what does that life look like? What are the possibilities that open up for you when you get rid of that limiting belief? Because we've got to embed it into motivating habits and behaviors. If it's not a motivating habit, as I'm sure you guys talk about within health, right? If if it's not motivated, you're not going to do it. Absolutely. So we've got to motivate ourselves and think about, well, what's the purpose? What's the benefit of changing our relationship with money? And really you know, really bring that to life. You know, if you're into vision boards or uh, we have visualization tracks we use in some of our programs, you know, it's how do you bring that to life so that you feel excited and motivated to make that change when you can get through that motivation stage and then keep it consistent. And that's where maybe accountability partners and things like that can come in, 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 uh, you know, useful is um, then you can start to create the next practical step but so that would be where I would start is that a dear money exercise or just writing a letter to to money as if it were a person what would you be saying about money what would money be saying to you do you look after it or do you forget about it and just bring out once a year when your tax return is due or something like that you know what kind of relationship are you having with money as if it were a person as if you were writing a you know penning a letter to a best friend or something like that yeah, I, I think I, I think I did that exercise with you um, way back when. And I, and I will completely agree with you. You said earlier about how um, it's this stuff that completely changes everything. And it's uh, definitely that has been my experience, like completely. And I, I kind of never I didn't understand how it could be possible, but it just makes so much sense when you explain it in that way. I really, really appreciate you coming on to talk to us today. Thank you so much, Catherine. You're uh, very welcome. Thanks for having me. No problem. I'm going to drop all the links um, to those bits um, and pieces in the comments, um, along with, and you have the Money Circle as well, don't you, which is your membership um, for people if they wanted to delve a bit deeper into it. Yeah, we've got a few a few resources for people. I mean, we have a podcast, In Her Financial Shoes, which is in the top 1% of global podcasts. Um, so that's In Her Financial Shoes. That's on all the major podcasting platforms. We also have our free Facebook community, Money Advice Expert for Women. Um, and then we have our paid programs and, and uh, memberships. So our membership is The Money Circle. That's a great place to start if you're wanting to start to explore um, some of the content around the deserving, creating and growing wealth. And then we have a bunch of other courses and masterminds that can support people beyond that. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thanks, Francis. Uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank yeah, you. thanks very much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget that you can subscribe to listen to more episodes. You can leave a review if you've enjoyed today's episode and you can share with your friends. And I'd really appreciate that. 
Look forward to seeing you next week. And if you need a few moments out for yourself, I've left a free guided relaxation recording in the notes for this podcast. Take care, guys. See you next time.